Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So, so church, listen to this. I want to start our Bible study off tonight with a quote. It's a quote that I heard um, many year, many weeks ago, but many years ago. But I, I, I brought it back up, and and um, I want you to jot this down. It's a it's a quote that that you can really grasp. You ready? Here's the quote: History provides a forensic evidence when it comes to biblical prophecy. Let me say that again: History provides forensic evidence when it comes to biblical prophecy. You go, Ben, I'm not sure what that means. Well, in other words, when we take a look back at history, when we take a look back at world history, we can easily determine that history is the scientific evidence as it relates to the past and the foretelling of future events. This is known as biblical prophecy. Well, I'm not sure what you mean. How so? Well, in your mind, go back to with me to last week's study. Here's what we discovered. We discovered that the little horn is going to rise out of the Grecian Empire. Now, you've got you to gotta set your bearings straight. Let me go ahead and uh, pull up verse 8 for you. It says, Therefore, the male goat grew very great, and when he became strong, a large horn was broken. In its place of it, four noble ones came toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. Of course, he's referring to Israel. We'll see that in a little bit. Now, what you need to remember, church, listen, is this is not, this is not the same horn that we talked about in Daniel chapter 7. This is not the same horn. This um, The little horn in Daniel 7 is the one that's going to rise up out of a future kingdom known as the revived Roman Empire. We know him as the, the, the Antichrist. The Antichrist. We'll see him in Revelation 13, but this is the Antichrist in chapter... Well, you go, ben, 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 okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me see if I get this straight. Let me see if I get this straight. In Daniel chapter 7, we see this horn. He has this vision, and it's really prophetic in its future. Yes, and it's the Antichrist. Now... What we need to do is we need to take a moment and just just for a second, think about what's going on in the world today. Think about what's happening as Satan and his demons and, and his anti-Christian spirit is now being just is just being flooded all over the world. Think about for just a second what you see, and what's going on. We're having, at a professional baseball game, we're inviting Satan to come in and be a part of that. We're not playing baseball anymore. We're inviting evil. That's in our world. In department stores, and I have to be careful because you know they're listening, they're merchandising to our children th- the things that ought not. Well, why don't you just name names? Well, I'm, I'm not going to, I'll give you the initials, okay? It's Target, okay? And basically what it is, 
is that you walk in and they have all of these things that are targeting our children and we got to stop. We got that's enough. But it's evil. You see it's not enough to go shopping anymore and buying the things that you need. You buy clothes, you have a nice shirt and, and trousers. They're targeting our children. They're going after our children. There's so much more evil that we can't even talk about it. But it's happening in our world. The church is the minority as we stand and we study God's word. The church is the minority. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful because... Although the Antichrist, we don't know who he is, we know he's definitely on the scene, and we know Satan is putting his final push before the Lord Jesus comes back for us. I want you to take just a, just a moment before we jump into our study even more, just take a moment and think that we're really, really close. Well, Ben, I've got a question. Somebody the other day was telling me, I think it's, I think it's 2030. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of biblical evidence pushing to 2030. Well, there is, but you know how fast seven years go? You know how fast seven years go? I mean, we get busy with life, and seven years can go very fast, but I don't think it's going to be seven years. I think in 2030 is actually going to be the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming, not the rapture which means the rapture could happen at any time. At any time. You go, well, Ben, why are you telling us this? Here's why. Because we need to, we need to rejoice, church. We need, to, we need to look and go, okay, one day all this is it's coming to an end. We're going to be in him, with him forever. This is going to be glorious. Our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in a God. And, and so when we sit outside... And we drink our coffee and we have a beautiful morning. We can just rejoice and go, okay, Lord, I'm ready. And every one of us is ready, but, uh, but there's a part of us that goes, man, we still have a lot of work to do. There's still people. And, 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 and if you're being honest, if you're being honest, many of us will go, Lord, please don't come yet because my so-and-so is not saved and my, my friend's not saved and my, my parents aren't saved. And, 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 they're really, and so we're actually asking him not to come get us because we have a lot of work to do. And so what we should be praying is that the Holy Spirit just be poured out like he tells us in the last days and that we would have revival again and that we'd see people, not only we see people saved, but we'd see people delivered from drugs, alcohol, prostitution, all of these things. Can I get an amen? amen. That's, that's where we need to be, watching God move, watching God move. So who's this horn in Daniel chapter 8? Well, none other than a fella by the name of Antiochus IV. Let me write this down because it's going to be of significance. A-N-T-I-O-C-H-U-S, Antiochus. Some people call him Antiochus. I've heard it all different ways. I like Antiochus, and he's Antiochus IV. Now, before we jump into our study, I want you to think about what we've learned. Put on your thinking caps, church. When it comes to history, we first get a glimpse in Daniel chapter 2. Why? Well, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Do you remember? It was sleepless in Shinar. Shinar is another name for Babylon, 
right? And instead of sleepless in Seattle, it's sleepless. He was sleepless. He was a king and he has this dream. Well, the Lord gives Daniel the interpretation. Do you guys remember the metallic statue? And yet, it was not only a statue, and here's where you got to put your thinking camp on, it was a, it was a, a road map to future events. And the metallic statue had a head of gold, and that represented the Babylonian Empire. Then it had chest of arms and silver, and that was the Medo-Persian Empire. Then it had a belly and thighs of bronze, and that was the Grecian Empire. And then it had legs of iron, two legs, and that, uh, that was the Roman Empire. And then the last was feet of iron and clay, and that's the future kingdom that you and I may or may not get a glimpse of. It may be forming before we hear the trumpet sound, we don't know, but there is coming a future, uh, a, a future kingdom. Now, again, think about this. Think about this for a second. If, if Daniel saw all of this and he says, yeah, this is what it is, and here's the interpretation, and then, and then he says, hey, in this feet of iron and clay, that's future, we can rest assured that a future kingdom is coming. It's coming, and so we've got to be prepared. Now, later on in chapter 7, again, we're going to see that Daniel doesn't, <clears throat> isn't interpreting somebody else's dream. He actually has a vision, and the vision is in the first year of Belshazzar, and he says, this is when the Medes and the Persians had already conquered Babylon right there, and so Belshazzar's there. We, we know him. We won't get into his, his little drunken party where the writing was on the wall, but what God does is something amazing. He gives Daniel, again, another roadmap of history, although this was not history to Daniel, it was actually prophetic. You go, what did he see? Do you remember he saw the lion with wings and that represented the Babylonian Empire? He also said there was a bear with three ribs in his mouth and that was the Medo-Persian Empire. He said there was a leopard with four wings and four heads and that represented the Greek Empire. And he said, then I saw a beast with 10 horns and one little horn and one little horn. And that was the Roman Empire, but it was also the revived Roman Empire. This was also the one that is to come. That is to come. Now, here's what we need to learn. Okay. If you're taking note, when Daniel had these prophetic visions, it was anywhere from 100 to 400 years before it even came to pass. Think about this for just a second. A hundred, could you imagine right now, a hundred years from now, a hundred years from now would be what? Come on, somebody. 21, 23. See, it took us a while to go, wait, is it, is it 30? No, it's 21. <laughs> could you imagine prophesying something that was going to happen a hundred years from now? What about 400 years from now? I saw this. This is going to happen. But just think about even the revived Roman Empire or this new kingdom. Daniel saw that, couldn't explain it because it was so far. And you and I, we're, going to, we're, we're sort of watching what's happening. But think about that. Just the uh, eagle white. The reason that Daniel chapter 8 is unbelievable chapter Church, listen, is the scope of the prophecy because we have to remember that Daniel is one of the most highly contested books in scriptures. You go, why? Why would people, I mean, it's the word of God. Well, here, because the prophecies were so exact 
and so detailed that when you look at the backdrop of what actually happened in history, people go, there's no way he could prophesy. There's no way. Nobody can do that. To the, to the very nth of what, are you serious? Yeah, people who want to reason away the predictive biblical prophecies and want to disprove the Bible automatically have to go to Daniel because the prophecies are so unbelievable and have been literally fulfilled by history. You know what it does? Listen, listen. It gives us forensic evidence, doesn't it? The history does. You go back and go, oh, why? Because remember, history provides forensic evidence when it comes to biblical prophecy. I love that quote. So, Again, to thoroughly confuse you, because I said this last week, and then somebody came to prayer and goes, boy, I was confused. Chapter 7 through 12 are visions which Daniel had, okay? 7 through 12 are visions. In chronology, the events of chapter 7 and 8 belong between chapters 4 and 5, if you're looking at a timeline. If you're taking note, what happens in chapter 9 which we'll see next week, happened about the same time as chapter 6. What happened in chapter 6? Well, it was Daniel in the lion's den. That's chapter 9. Okay, now the visions in chapter 10, when we get there, through 12, actually take place after the events of chapter 6. So, again, think about it. All of these things are intertwined, but we have the book, and so, and so that's why we come and we go, hey, let me just, just kind of tell you how it goes. So you see, here's why. If you don't have somebody explaining the word like Nehemiah said, you'll read chapter 8 and go, well, Belshazzar died way back over here. I don't understand. I'm, oh, the Bible's hard to understand. I don't know. Bel- was there two Belshazzar? I'm not sure what it is. But when you have somebody teaching you the Bible and you take notes and don't be afraid to write in your Bibles, you go, boom, okay, I understand. I got it. I got it. The second thing you need to jot down is remember that Daniel's now writing in Hebrew, as to address the Jewish nation. Up until then, he was writing in Aramaic. What was Aramaic for? The Gentile nation. So now he's addressing the Jewish nation. Okay, so you got to put that in your mindset. Okay, Jewish nation, Jewish nation. So tonight, we're going to kind of finish up chapter 8, but we need to keep this in mind. You go, what's that? As we study chapter 8 in light of history, we're also going to get a glimpse what will happen in the tribulation. So let's pick up our study, guys, in verse 9 once again. It says, Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Okay, mental note, this is not the same horn, which is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, which is going to arise out of the revived Roman Empire. This horn refers to that he came out of Greece and refers to a fellow by the name of Antiochus IV. Antiochus is going to change his name, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But why is this key? Why did I have to write down Antiochus IV? Church, listen to me. Because everything we see about Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, guys, this is key. The reason we're seeing this guy is because Um, the same is going to occur in a future temple. The very same thing. Okay, now, hold on. You got to grasp this, okay? Right now in Israel, if you go, when we go to Israel, if the Lord allows us to, 
we'll go into what is called the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute is a big building that has everything that you need for temple sacrifice. They have everything that they need. Now, they don't have a temple, but they have the showbread, they have everything, they'll do a presentation, and they're all ready. They have the priest, they have the linen ephod, they have everything else. What they were missing was um, the red heifer. Um, And fortunately, the red heifers were actually found here in the United States, shipped to Israel. Now, they have to be three years old before they can actually sacrifice them in the temple. They're one and a half years old right now. So as long as they don't develop a white hair or a black hair and they're pure, in one and a half years, they're able to sacrifice these red heifer and in a te- we don't have a temple. We don't have a temple. According to CBN, the news uh, outlet, they can actually sacrifice as long as they're looking, overlooking the Temple Mount. So if you go to the Mount of Olives, they can actually sacrifice there and begin the ritual sacrifices. Now, they also have priests. They have priests who they've been training. They've got eight of them right now who have not defiled themselves. They have not been with a woman. They have not been to a funeral. They're eight ready to go. Never in the history have we had priests and the red heifers. And so you, you got that, right? So, so we're so close. It could be literally a year and a half and there would be a third temple in Jerusalem. A year and a half. You know that today's construction doesn't take very long to build, does it? They can have something up. They can, I mean, who knows how they can do. But I want to show you Antiochus because this is what's going to happen soon. Soon. Here's the point. The Antichrist right now is on the earth. Don't know where he's at. Don't know who he is. Don't have an inkling. But I know he's on because we're that close for all of this to take place. So, what happened? Antiochus, a real person, came to the throne in 175 BC. Okay? Everybody get that in your mind. And what he did is he came in and he plundered the temple in Jerusalem. You go, wait, wait, wait. What did he do? Antiochus came in. Where did he come from? Greece. He comes in and he desecrated the temple. How did he desecrate the temple? He offered pig's flesh on the altar. That was a complete abomination right there. That freaked everybody out, you know? So if that's going to happen, if that happened in 175 BC, we know that it's going to happen again. The Antichrist is going to do the same thing. So what should I look for? Be looking for the rise of a third temple. Oh, oh, there's something. Be looking for a covenant that would allow a third temple, or at least the sacrifices once again. Okay, now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but your question would be, Ben, why are they wanting to sacrifice and atone for sins again? Here's why. You have Orthodox Jews, okay, that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So they're still wanting their sins forgiven and atoned for, 
but they haven't had any sacrifices in over 2,000 years. So they're like, what do we do? What do we do with our sin? So they're chomping at the bit, if you will, to begin that sacrifice once again. They're looking for their Meshach. They're looking for their Messiah to come in. When the Antichrist comes in, he's going to go, everybody's going to go, whoa, that's the Messiah, Israel. Now, you have Orthodox. Now, you have Messianic Jews that go, no, 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 no. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's already come. We believe that. Why hasn't there been a third temple in the last 2,000 years? Because when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit and the body of Christ became the temple of God. We didn't need a place to sacrifice our sin. He atoned. He covered our sin. He took our sin away. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit. And so we're the temple of God now. And so that's how he's been for the last 2,000 years. Don't you think that if a third temple came up quick, don't you think for just a second that we would be out of here? Because as the temple, as, as the body of Christ, as a temple of the Holy Spirit... We don't, need to, we, we don't need to atone anymore. And so he might say, hey, let's go home. They're, they're doing some stuff down there. I know they're going to do some stuff because, because here it is. Here it is. Now, listen. Antiochus IV, listen how he came to power. He gained the throne of his father, Antiochus III, by murdering his brother, the former king, Seleucus Philopater. The son of Philopater was the rightful heir to the throne, but Antiochus IV had held him hostage in Rome, and so Antiochus IV legitimized the rule mainly through flattery and bribery. So, so he murders the son, he's holding people at bay, and using his flattery and using his bribery and using all of this stuff, he comes to the throne. Well, when he gets to the throne, he doesn't want to be called Antiochus IV. I don't want to be the fourth. As a matter of fact, I want you to call me. And he changed the title to Epiphanes, which means illustrious, alluding to deity. So he's going, you need to call me Antiochus Epiphanes, deity. Well, the Jews were like, no, 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 this guy's twisted. So instead of calling Epiphanes, they called him Antiochus Epiphanes, which means madman. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This is what they were saying. Man, he's a madman. And I'm telling you right now, that's going to be the norm in, that's going to be the norm in the world when the Antichrist comes and starts doing what he does. People are going to look at him and go, what a madman. What a crazy guy. That's crazy. Now, listen to me, church. Listen. You as a human being and the rest of the world, the enemy is trying to condition us so that people will, not us, but condition the world, to condition humans to accept and be able to just embrace the Antichrist as soon as he comes on the scene. Okay? How? Well, a lot of it is going to be mainly through the same ways. Through flattery and bribery. And hey, we'll give you this if you do this. If you just embrace this, you'll do that. And so forth. Now, Listen to me. I've seen it in the news. I've seen it. 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 Because you and I are here, 
We are the we are the stopping force, if you will, of of just blatant evil. We with with the body of Christ and the Christians still here, we're saying, no, 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 we're not going to do that. No, 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 we're we we're going to be obedient to the word of God. I don't care what the struggle is. We're going to be obedient to the word. And, oh, you're you're hindering, and you're you guys are stopping progress. Is what the enemy says. You need, to, you need to embrace what's going to happen in the world. You need to embrace what's happening at the department stores. You need to embrace what's happening in Major League Baseball. You need to embrace... All, come on. We all got to be inclusive. Everybody's just got to love everybody. And you and I are going, no, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what it says. And so I'm going to stick to the Bible. Oh, and it, and it angers them. That's the world we live in. The Antichrist, hopefully none of us will see him, but he's going to be a madman. So let's pick up our study in verse 10. Let's unpack uh, 10 through 14. Then we'll quickly look at verses 15 through 22, and then we'll spend our time um, from 23 to 27. So we'll move pretty quick. Okay, speaking of Antiochus, okay, we know he's the horn. Look at verse 10. And this horn grew up to the host of heaven... And it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Now, we've got to stop right there, okay? Why? Because we, we've got to do some work. The Bible just said that the, this horn, this, this Antiochus, cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground. And you're going, what is he talking about? Okay, the host and the stars are symbols used in the Old Testament church for angels, for kings, for leaders, and the people of God at large, okay? So you have to be careful. When you study this, you go, oh, wait a minute. So now this, this, this Antiochus had the, the power to bring down angels? No, 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 no. Listen, it, angels, kings, leaders, that's important, or really the people of God at large. And do you realize that Antiochus, Epiphanes, he actually fulfilled this? Why? When he came into power, guys, his attacks against the rulers and against God's people were all over the place. This was already happened. This is in history. And so, and so Daniel, he sees the vision. He sees the vision. He's like, oh. and then Antiochus fulfills this. But what's he trying to say? God is trying to warn us because, listen to me, there's going to be the Antichrist that's going to come in and do the same thing. He's going to, what? He's going to to cast down some kings, some leaders, and he's going to attack the people of God. The people of God. It says in verse 11, church, he even exalted himself as the prince of the host. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Antiochus, guys, think about this, was, was an accurate and dramatic fulfillment of this prophecy in history. He did this so much that critics insist the book of Daniel must be written after his time. But what did he do? Well, number one, he exerted his dominion towards the south, towards the east, and actually toward the land of Israel. So that fulfilled prophecy right there. Number two, he murdered other rulers and he persecuted the people of Israel. He cast down the host and some of the stars 
and he trampled them to the ground. So he's already done. Number three, listen, here's this guy. You're getting it on the news, and, and here it is. He blasphemed God, and then he commanded idolatrous worship directed towards himself. That's why he named himself Antiochus Epiphanes. This is exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. He is going to blaspheme God. Now, now you need to remember, anti means against, but he's going to come in. Anti also could mean like. So he's going to come in and kind of fool people saying, I am the Christ. I am the Christ. And then in the middle, he's going to go, I'm God. And he's going to, and he's going to blaspheme God. And he's going to, there's, there's a lot happening here, guys. There's a lot happening. But the Bible has already predicted this. He's given us a preview from Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes came in and he stopped the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. The Bible says the daily sacrifices were taken away. He's going to do the same thing. Your attention, please. In the third temple, they're going to begin sacrifices. You're going to see that. He's going to come in. He's going to, three and a half years, he's going to say, no more. He's going to offer pig's flesh on the altar. He's going to sit on the throne, and he's going to declare that he's God, that you need to worship me. The people of Israel are going to realize they've been duped. They're going to rip their clothes in mourning, and they're going to head over to Petra. In Petra, guys, across, there is all of this place. It's called Petra. They have all of these Bible verses inside the little crevices and crakes and Bibles. People put them there so that the Jewish people could come up and, and read the truth. They won't know the truth because they'll believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah until he does that. Church, listen. You know that there's a spiritual battle going on because Israel and Christians alike have the book of Daniel. They know that it's happened before. And yet we see some spiritual blindness going on in the world. Antiochus will did, let's, should I say that, not will, he desecrated the temple by offering pigs. The Bible says the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So he's done all of this. The Antichrist is going to do the same thing. Look at verse 12 with me in your Bibles. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices and cast truth down to the ground. He did all of this and he, what's that word? Prospered. Prospered. Antiochus opposed God and and he seems to prosper. He's like, wow, why? Why is that an indication? Here's why. If you study the book of Hosea, do you guys remember the book of Hosea? Hosea was a prophet and he kept trying to warn his fellow countrymen. He kept trying to warn them of the coming judgment And you know what they told him? They said, how can God be judging us when we're so prosperous? Everything we touch is turning great. Business is great. Schools are good. There's no crime. Are you kidding me? We're being blessed. And Hosea says, no, guys. No, you don't look at it that way. Judgment is coming. So a lot of people, listen to me, guys, a lot of people will take the mark of the beast. A lot of people will 
join the ranks of the Antichrist because all they see is outward prosperity. Well, obviously, he must be God if he's prosperous. Obviously, he must be blessed. You see, do you guys remember, think about our Jesus. Think about our Jesus. What a wonderful Savior. You see, Jesus came and and he said, you're following me? I don't have a place to lay my head. I don't have a home. You see, people were following him because they followed his heart, not because... He was prosperous. Oh, he's coming back as a king, and a king of kings and lord of lords. But you see the difference. You see the difference. We tend to follow somebody that we think, oh, he's prosperous. He's, he's good. Look at this. He must, he must be blessed by God. And don't get me wrong. God does bless us monetarily from time to time. But that's not why we follow the Lord, is it? We don't follow Jesus, church, because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. That's got to be on our heart. Hey Amen. Why are you a Christian? Because Jesus made my life better. No, 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 no. He's better than life. He's better than life. Verse 13. Then I heard a holy one speaking to another holy one. Said to that certain one who was speaking, Well, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? and giving both the sanctuary and the host trampled underfoot. And he said to me, 42 for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. So basically, Daniel's watching, okay? He doesn't ask the question. Look at that in your Bible. He heard, he heard these holy ones speaking together, and one of them asked the question. And they wanted to know how long the sacrifices would be suspended, if you will, and how long the sanctuary would be desecrated. And he comes back and he says, for 2,300 days. Now, I looked up the little translation of what he said, and it actually means this, 2,300 mornings and evenings. So Bible students debate, okay, was it, was it 2,300 days or is it 1,150 days? We're not sure, but 2,300 days is almost seven years. So you're kind of going, okay, so I'm not sure exactly where this fits in. But I know that Daniel hears this and he goes, oh, okay, okay. This is going to happen. So as we come now to verse 15, moving quickly, we're going to see the interpretation. We talked a little bit about this last week, but let's go over it again. It says, then it happened, verse 15, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli and who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man. Now remember, not the son of man. Look at that in your Bibles. It's just son of man. He's talking to, to Daniel that the, like the vision refers to the time of the end. The time of the end. When? He's talking about future. Here's the vision. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see for just a second. Too many times 
if we're watching these televangelists on TV, they'll come up and they'll say, well, you know what? I was in my bed and Jesus came in my room and I stood straight up and I said, Jesus, you and I need to have a talk. And they'll do, they'll, they'll, and, and the congregation laughs like, and, and I'm just sitting here, listen, this was an angel and this is Daniel and Daniel fell on his face. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If the Lord Jesus showed up in your room, you would be flat on your face in worship. He's, he's God. He's God. Every time in Scripture, when you see an angel talking, they'll say, get up. Only Jesus received their worship. People came in, Jesus received their worship. He says, hey, understand, son of man, the vision refers to the end of time. Now, as he was speaking with me, notice, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And he touched me and stood me upright. Okay. And he said, look, I'm making known to you what will happen. And I want you to underline this, guys, in the latter time of the indignation. So now he's saying, Daniel, you need to write this down. This is what's going to happen in the latter time. For the appointed time shall For the appointed time, the end shall be. The ram which you saw having two horns, these are the kings of the the Media and the Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between the eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four horns that stood up in his place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not its power. Not its power. So he's giving him the interpretation. Now, there's, there's, a, there's the dual interpretation here, guys. He's saying, this is what's going to happen with Antiochus, but also it's going to come future. And you're going, oh, okay. This refers to the end, the latter time of indignation. Okay? So we've got to grasp that. It was both latter for Daniel because of Antiochus, but also, of course, for the Antichrist. Now, verse 23. Notice what it says. Verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall rise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy temple. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princesses. And he shall be broken without human means. So, we talked about this last week. But here's what we need to understand. In the latter times of their kingdom. So, all of a sudden, here is going to be this Antichrist. Now, I want you to note the resume of the Antichrist. Right now... There's nobody out there that we see that we'd go, oh, well, this guy fits the bill. It's not going to happen then. You need to understand, okay? Take, stay with me, stay with me, because what's going to happen here is you're going to hear a trumpet sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and will be remain and will be caught up to you. So millions of Christians will suddenly disappear. There's going to be a resurrection and we're going to be gone. Do you realize what the world is going to look like in that moment? 
in that moment, cars are going to veer off the street as, as Christians are taken. And they're going to crash into other cars and into other buildings. There's going to be mad chaos. Let me paint the picture for you here just in Lubbock. I mean, in Lubbock, Texas, our hospitals are equipped just to handle enough. Any emergency is going to throw them for a loop. There's no way they're going to be handled. But think about that. Planes are going to be falling out of the sky. Why? Because pilots are going to be gone. Maybe pilot and co-pilot. Some airlines have taken this so so personally that they will not let a unbeliever, they, will, they won't let a, a, a Christian fly with another Christian uh, co-pilot. They'll say, uh, no, you gotta, we, we got to do this together. Well, we don't believe in, but well, you just, we just need to be careful. Planes will fall out of the sky. Think about this. What happens immediately? Immediately, the, our economy collapses. The schools, the, the hospitals are overrun. The first thing, if you decide, if you're here and you, and, and you get left behind and you're just like, oh man, I didn't give my life to the Lord, I know I should have. Your first thing, your first inclination is you're going to go to the store and you're going to try to buy food because you don't know exactly what happened. You're going to try to buy as much food. And we're not talking about, we're not talking about, hey, let's see if we can get through the week. You're going to say, man, I need to put, you'll have groceries. There'll be grocery stores that fight. The grocery stores are going to be shut down because there's nobody there to work them. There'll be looting. Looting all over the place. This is all happening very quickly around the world. And so what's going to happen is that somebody sits there and he goes, oh, well, we need a savior. We need, so we need to fix this. This is crazy. We can't have a world that's chaos like this. And so what they do is now all of a sudden the Antichrist steps in and says, hey, I can fix this. Let's do, just follow my heart. Everybody go home. Let's everybody stay home so we can get an accurate account. Stay in house. Stay in your house. Don't go out on the streets. It's dangerous. Well, because of the looting and because of all that, right? If people get hungry, they don't care who you are. They're going to go in your house and they're going to steal your food. Now, we've had, we've had all of these movies. We had Left Behind. We had A Thief in the Night. We've had all these movies that kind of show us the, the aftermath of the rapture. And it's probably nothing at all. No, nothing can compare to what that day is going to be like. The day, the months, the weeks after that. So you're going to need a savior to step up, if you will, and get everything back in order. Well, guess what? If you're left behind and you really don't know anything about Bible and you don't know anything about Jesus and you really don't believe in God and you've claimed to be an atheist all of your life, well, at this point, you're going to go, okay, what do I need to do to get, get back to normal? And so you'll easily follow the instructions so that life can get back to normal pretty quick. It's going to take probably a good couple of years. But then now you have a savior. You have somebody who took care of you. You have somebody. So he's not going to be this evil, sinister person that we're reading about right here until he comes in and he says, okay, now listen up. And it says, he's going to have fierce features He's going to understand sinister schemes. He's going, his power shall be mighty, but it's not going to be his power. Satan will be in him. He shall destroy fearfully and prosper and thrive. If you had somebody here who said, hey, um, I'm walking the fence. I'm really not born again. I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day I'll give my life to the Lord. I don't know. Maybe. 
yeah, but, but, but sweetie, the rapture is going to take place and we're all going to be gone. Yeah, I'll take my chances. And then they realize that they really need to. And they decide at that point, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry for my sins. This guy will know who you are and he'll come after you. And, they, and he will relentlessly go after you to get you to take the mark. No, but I'm a, I'm a believer now. I'm a believer now. You see, people will say to you and I, oh, no, no, it's not a big deal. I'll get saved then. I'll get saved then. I'll serve God then. If you can't serve God now when it's so much easier, when he gives us the Holy Spirit, how are you going to serve God then when, there, when there's a constant attack on your life? And, and it's sinister. It's, I, mean, I mean, think about this. And, and, and the prophecy from 23 to 25, guys, I mean, it's equally true of both Antiochus and the Antichrist. And this is an example of a prophetic passage that has a both near and far fulfillment. I want you to think about this. Antiochus, if you go back in history and you'll see, you'll see what, what having fierce features means, he was known for his cruel brutality. And it also be true of the coming Antichrist. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this, not for you, but for the loved ones who we're praying for, for the loved ones who, who might get left behind. You see, the, cru- the cruelty of this is not going to be, hey, listen, if you, know, if you get around to it, maybe, maybe you want to join our team. Take the mark. What do you think? It'd be good for you. Everybody else is doing it. That's not what he's going to do. He's going to, he's going to take the very thing that hurts you the worst and threaten you with that. You see, you and I, at an adult age, we're not afraid to die. We'll actually give our lives for anyone, but when they take our little children whom we love desperately, can you imagine the torture wanting you to change, to to renounce Christ and and pledge your allegiance to the Antichrist? That's brutality. Those are just, I mean, think about this. I can't even begin to think, my mind doesn't work that way, but can you imagine him saying, I mean, listen, hey, you want to give your life to Christ and he pull out every single fingernail one at a time or break every, I mean, you just, we don't understand the, the cruelty of that. We do know, we do know based on the movies that, that you're going to have to give your life. You're going you're to have to get your head chopped off, but I don't think it's just going to be you walking down going, okay, well, I'll put your head here. There's going to be Cruel brutality. Why? Because I want to show everyone, I want to show everyone in watching what will happen if you don't give your life. You see, and it's not just (laughs) head done. That's so easy, isn't it? You look up, you're gone. you're You're in heaven if you give your life to the Lord. But if I want to make a point, if this guy's coming out of the revived Roman Empire, think about what the Romans, they actually... They actually, um, man, they perfected the cross. Why did they perfect the cross and why did they perfect where they put it? Because they wanted people to see, you mess with Rome, this is what you get. And not only are they beaten with the, with the cat of nine tails, here they are. And then you're walking going, oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good little boy. I'm going to be a good little girl. And Rome, the revived Roman Empire, could be just as bad. Just as bad. The Bible says that this guy, he's going to understand sinister schemes. Antiochus was known for his flattery and smooth tongue. 
the coming Antichrist, now here's what I want you to get, guys, will strike a covenant with Israel. Look over, turn very quickly, just a one, one, book, one chapter over to Daniel 9.27. Daniel 9.27, guys, I want you to see this, okay? It says, then he, speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice of offerings, and on the wing of the abomination shall be the one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out to be desolate. Now, here's what I want you to see. Look at your Bibles, guys. It says, and he shall confirm. I want you to circle that word. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. But why is that important? Because the word confirm means to establish, to, to, uh, it was just, it was so neat to see. And you go, what does it mean? It actually implies to you and I that there is already going to be a covenant in place or they're going to already build a covenant. So don't be afraid if you start seeing a covenant start to happen now and, and, it, and it be tabled for a little bit because then he'll come in and go, this is what we need to do. And it says he'll confirm that covenant. And that's when the tribulation starts. He's going to confirm something that's already there. That gives you and I eyes to see and go, oh, oh, what is this covenant going to be? What is this covenant? Well, we know it's going to be seven years of peace. Seven years of, oh man, of, of bliss. So you and I are going to get, and, and that's why when Trump did the Abraham Accord, everybody said, oh my gosh, oh, no, no. they started freaking out. But, it, but it, we, hadn't, it, we hadn't had any of this. But anytime you see that happening, this is why. He shall confirm. In the middle of the week though, the middle, not the week, but the middle of the tribulation, He's going to put an end to the sacrifices. There's got to be a temple. Come on, church. And then all of a sudden, he's going to offer the abomination of desolation in the temple and declare he's God. The last three and a half years are going to be not only God pouring out his judgment and wrath on an unbelieving world, but Satan and the beast and the Antichrist and the false prophet and all of that is just, it's going to be hell, 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 hell on earth. Okay, back to chapter 8. His power shall be mighty, but not his own power. Guys, Antiochus was empowered by Satan and allowed by God, and it'll be the same true of the coming Antichrist. He shall prosper and thrive. Antiochus looked like a total success. Everybody loved him. So will the coming Antichrist. He shall destroy the mighty, and also the holy, holy people. Antiochus not only destroyed his enemies, but also harshly per persecuted the people of God. You know that the coming Antichrist will also destroy and persecute. See, listen, this agrees once more with history, which tells us that Antiochus Epiphanes came against the Jewish people on September 6, 168 B.C., he desecrated the temple, stopped the sacrifice, changed the Mosaic law, and then he sacrificed a pig on the altar. And not, not, not only did he do that, but check, check this out. He placed an idol of Zeus in the temple. So he totally desecrated the temple. This is history, 168 B.C. He shall cause deceit to prosper, both the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes in the past and the Antichrist in the future are marked by deceit. Deceit. When I read this, I remember what Jesus told us, didn't he? 
He said, please don't be deceived. Don't be marked. Don't be, don't be marked by deceived. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, with all signs, lying wonders, guys, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they do not receive the love of truth that they might be saved, that they might be saved. Here's my plea to you. Don't follow after signs and wonders. Don't follow. Why? Because the lawless one is coming and he's going to be working. It's the working of Satan with signs, with powers, with lying wonders, and people are going to follow that. Okay, your attention, please. Think about this. Not only are, you, are people going to follow him because they think he's prosperous and successful. Oh, he's got to be blessed by God. But then he's going to be able to create these signs and wonders. And the people of God should not be following signs and wonders. They should be following the truth of Scripture. Even today, if someone showed up and said, Hey, watch this guy's over here. You've got to watch him. He's on YouTube. Check it out. He's doing all these miracles. Do we follow him, church? No, because we follow the word of God. And that's what he's saying here. And that would be my plea to you. And if you get nothing out of this Bible study, you go, okay, I just know whatever I do. Don't follow the guy with signs and wonders. I need to follow the Scripture. Why? Second Thessalonians, jot this down. Chapter 2, 9 and 10, New Living Translation says this. And this man, speaking of the Antichrist, notice, will come do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. He will use every kind of deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. The Word of God tells us, don't follow him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 and 10. The Bible says that he will exalt himself in his heart. Do you realize the coins of Antiochus Epiphanes were inscribed with the title Theos Epiphanes, meaning God manifest? The coming Antichrist will also exalt himself. So that he sits on the temple of God, showing himself to be God. You can jot this down. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. The Bible says that this man will be broken without human means. History tells us that Antiochus Epiphanes died of a disease, not by the hand of man. Nobody murdered him. In a similar way, no man will defeat the coming Antichrist but the hand of Jesus will strike him down. Revelation 19 and 20, let me read it to you. And the beast was taken to prisoner together with the false prophet who had performed miracles in his presence. And it was by those miracles which he had deceived those who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped the image of the beast. And the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with sulfur. And I love that it's the Lord who does that, which tells us something very interesting. In those seven years, even though there's going to be people who think, well, I can take this guy out, man. I know he's evil. I know he's evil. You know what? Look what he's done. They're not going to be able to kill him. Not going to be able to kill him. The Bible says, therefore, seal up the vision, Daniel. Daniel, you must do this because his day, the vision referred to a period far distant in its ultimate fulfillment. For us, well, the time is near. And the book is unsealed. How so? Revelation chapter 22, verse 10 says this. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. The time is at hand. 
Church, we talked a lot about Antiochus Epiphanes in chapter 8. God gave us Daniel chapter 8 so that we could see, we can look back in history and say, hey, this is going to happen. But he's also warning us. Now, again, Wednesday night, preaching to the choir, people are saved. Amen. But we now have people that, that, are, that we're praying for that are not saved. And my encouragement to you is keep praying. Keep praying. The days are going to get harder. The days are going to get longer. But we've got to keep praying. None of us here, according to the Word of God, is going to see the Antichrist. We're not. We might see glimpses of things happening, stuff in the world, but we're not going to see him. We're not going to know him. We may be looking down and go, is that the dude? Wow, I didn't see that. But none of us here, because we're going to be raptured, the Bible says. I don't think any one of us tonight we should be looking for the Antichrist, but more importantly, should be looking for Jesus Christ and be worshiping and being ready. Guys, it's not a game. Church is not a game. The world is not a game. This is happening. And prophetically, prophetically, this is what's going on. And Daniel saw that. Antiochus Epiphanes, you guys see. I mean, it's like, wow. It really bothers me when people say, well, God's holding out on you. He's not telling you. No, he tells us everything. If we're willing to look and we're willing to see and we're willing to dig and we're willing to and we're willing to mine that gold, he tells us everything that's about to happen. So so here's the point, right? Here's the point. Let me let me uh, I'm going to close, but let me remind us of one simple truth. One simple truth I want you to take home tonight. Guys, the word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. You have Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. We need to know the word of God. We need to know the Word of God. It needs to be in us. It needs to live inside us. That's truth. That's truth. See, God gave Daniel the vision, and he wrote it down. Then years later, we saw Antiochus do exactly what Daniel wrote down. So we know future, the coming lawless one, it's going to happen. And God gave us such a warning. So many times you'll hear people say, well, I don't know about a rapture. I don't know about, uh, you'll have the predators rude that this already happened and we're all going to die. Listen, the word of God said that he's going to come. He's going to hopod, so he's going to take us home. That's where I stand. That's where I sleep. That's where my hope is. The Lord Jesus loves us so much. He's going to take us home before all of this happens. Before all of this happens. Why? Because he loves us. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I will not face difficulties. It doesn't mean we won't face tribulation. And it doesn't mean we won't face persecution. But we're not going to be here for the tribulation and the great tribulation. And we're not going to see the Antichrist. So what does that mean? We need to pray. We need to pray for our friends. We need to pray for our loved ones. We need to be on our face. Well, yeah, they offended me. They, they really made me sad. Keep praying. Because what they're about to go through, we would not wish on our worst enemy. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word, God. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we love you so much. We thank you. Lord, we bless you. Thank you for your word, Lord. You, you've shared, showed everything in your word, Lord. And so, Lord, we just want to ponder and put, like Mary did, we want to just put it in our hearts, Lord, and, and just hold it there. Thank you, God. Thank you for all of this, Lord. I just thank you.
We love you, Jesus. We bless your holy name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.